Welcome to The Grange Point, where we hang out and talk about the latest news in science technology and how they relate to your everyday life. This podcast is brought to you by the Young Scientists of Australia. We're a youth organisation aged 15 to 25 whose work is to promote science to the youth of Australia. How different creatures respond to signs of danger involves complex biochemistry and areas of the brain. So when you get exposed to a sudden, life-changing shock, like an earthquake or all the lights going out, something happens and you might freeze first before reacting. What causes this on a chemical level? Plus, communicating danger and having a sense of things around you is incredibly important for herd behaviours. But how do different animals respond when at the signs of danger in their compatriots? Now, how do you know something's dangerous? Now, if you're Spider-Man, you have your spidey sense, your ability to predict danger. But actually, lots of creatures and animals rely on their cues about danger in a variety of different ways. Lots of herd animals have incredibly intricate signs to indicate to other members of the herd that danger is approaching, or to be cautious, or to suddenly flee and stampede. Humans have language, a sophisticated mechanism, not only for doing communication, listening to podcasts, making stories, passing along knowledge, but also for communicating about danger, or to coordinate in times of danger. But how do rats manage to transfer information about danger? And what can we learn for that about the direction of information flow in a dangerous situation? And that's what researchers led by Christian Cases from Netherlands Institute for Neuroscience at the University of Amsterdam have been investigating. Because it's easy to think about transferring of information as a one-way process, i.e. you sense something is dangerous and from your body language or from your communication or other signals, you pass it on to who's someone who is observing you. And that is the paradigm that has been understood for many years about the way in which animals can transmit nonverbal cues about danger. And that helps this creature anticipate threats and respond accordingly. So rodents, being a smaller creature with lots of predators, have developed these mechanisms to convey the anticipation, especially, of danger. Now, they call this social transmission. And you can measure it by the freezing, whether or not that creature stops in its tracks on the detection of danger. Now, it was believed that social transmission of freezing was a one-way process where one rat observes the fear in the other rat. But Kaisers and his colleagues tried to quantify and analyse the information flow about danger and what other things are being passed along by also studying the brains of these rats over time. They also look to see if there's other clues in situations that can help change the way the rats behave. For example, if they're familiar with the other rat, if the rat is from a different species, if they've had some time in, around each other, and if the information is going one way, two ways, or what actual information is being transferred. And the reason why these scientists are trying to dig into that is they're trying to understand the way, in general, animals communicate about danger. It's not as simple to think as it's just a a predator and prey type situation where one creature detects a dangerous response and they all just scatter. It's a lot more nuanced and complicated than that. And their results were quite fascinating. Now, the study that they did involved one rat receiving a small shock on its feet and with another rat, the observer rat, observing that rat receiving the foot socks. So that's a demonstrator rat who is getting the slight shock and the observer rat who is just in the same area and watching this take place. Now, how the observer reacts to the other rat's distress is quite interesting because it also tells us a lot about the way rats respond to signs of danger. 
Now what they saw really indicated that the rats actually get transmitted information in both directions. That is, the way in which the observer rat reacts to the sign of another rat in distress actually changes the way that the rat in distress, the demonstrator, responds. Another, put it another way, if the rat on the other side doesn't freak out because it's familiar with the experiment or with the other rat, then you actually get a calmer response from the rat being shocked. If the rat does respond by showing the danger signs and startling, then the demonstrator rat also remains shocked. So you actually get a two-way process. The observer observes the rat distressed and reacts in a certain way. But the way in which that observer reacts also impacts the distress levels of the rat being tested. And that is really interesting because it actually shows that it's almost a conversation between these two rats. And when they did some further tests about the response and this sort of empathy or sympathy, when they disabled the parts of the brain through genetics and breeding, to see what would happen if the rat didn't have this known trait, this learned trait, they actually saw some very different results. So if they disabled this sort of sympathetic element of the rat's brain in the observer, when that observer rat saw another rat being shocked, it didn't undertake this freezing behavior, which means that this part of the brain is sympathy element is quite important in actually helping them process and understand danger. But another thing that they undertook is that without some form of pre-exposure to this setup and this trial, or the other rats in question, the rats couldn't pass along or interpret both ways the actual information about danger being present. In fact, it suggests that this information transfer is not entirely inborn. It relies on some form of learning. Now, this is just looking at one pair of rats, but if you extrapolate this out to more and more, you actually get more feedback on what's actually happening in a larger group. So if a single rat observing someone in distress and their response is able to change the response of the rat actually in distress, then that suggests if there's lots of rats around all communicating with each other, it actually would have even more further almost herd-like responses. And this is really striking because... The observer and the demonstrator are thus really linked almost in a conversation about danger, assessing the danger and how to respond. And depending on that conversation, the outcomes can be very different. But it also shows that the empathy elements of the brain, that the region of the brain that the humans use to empathize and sympathize, rats also use a similar thing to communicate conditions of danger and stress in other rats, which they need for survival which may help provide some explanation for the development of those areas in the human brain and other creatures. In any case, there's a lot to learn about the way we need to sense danger and how we use that information to survive, and we can learn that from rats, as of being studied in this paper published in PLOS Biology by researchers from the University of Amsterdam.
So you'll be familiar with the deer in the headlights effect. When there's something shocking or startling, your body momentarily freezes. And this is a response seen in all kinds of creatures at the sign of a potential threat. But why and how it actually takes place inside the body, what causes that triggering response, is very, very interesting. Now, obviously, it's a response to a threat, but why does it cause your body to stop in its tracks? And that's what researchers from Columbia University have been investigating, and they published in the journal Current Biology. And what they found, at least in fruit flies, is that this response can be triggered chemically by the chemical serotonin. Now, what these researchers did was basically expose the flies to a sudden shock or sudden change of the environment around them. And what they observed was that the re rapid release of the chemical serotonin in the nervous systems makes them freeze initially in their place and then respond accordingly. And that's the same thing that would happen to you if you were sitting in your room and all of a sudden the lights went out or the ground started to shake. The body would respond by releasing serotonin into your nervous system. You would freeze as a response and then evaluate and move to safety. And that's basically what's happening. Now, in the brain, serotonin is normally closely associated with regulating both mood and emotion. But previous research on flies and invertebrates has shown that it can also have an impact on the speed of an animal's movements. And that's why the Columbia researchers actually tried to understand if it was potentially the trigger for this freezing under shock. So they first analyzed the fruit fly's steps by using something called Flywalker, which is basically a special type of glass by which you can track an insect's steps and movements. So after monitoring how the flies moves and calculating a baseline, the scientists started to manipulate the levels of serotonin and another chemical called dopamine inside the fly's ventral nerve cord. Basically, they adjusted inside the central nervous system of the fly the amount of two chemicals, serotonin and dopamine. Now what they found is that, so the initial results revealed that by activating the parts of the fly's brain that produce serotonin, slows the flies down. But if you deactivated those areas of the brain, those neurons, the actual flies started to speed up. And then they tried to manipulate the levels and see if they could change the insect's walking speed under a variety of conditions, including even different temperatures, whether the flies were hungry, or even if they were upside down. Things that you would normally associate with, well, changing something's walking speed. But what they found is that actually the biggest effect was via serotonin manipulation. In other words, if there was a lot of serotonin about, that had far more impact on the fly's movement speed than any other thing that they could think of. As Claire Howard, from the, uh, another paper, lead paper author, outlined, we witnessed serotonin's biggest effects while the flies were experiencing rapid environmental changes. In other words, when they were startled. So to further investigate this, the, the researchers devised two scenarios to try and spook the flies. In the first one, they switched off the lights, meaning a total blackout for the insects. And the other time they tried to simulate an earthquake by providing a large shake. And by working together with Tanya Tabachik, director of the Advanced Instrumentation Department at Columbia University, they actually managed to make some immensely cool little specialized fly testing machinery. This includes a miniature fly-sized arena perched atop specialized vibrating motors to introduce an earthquake-like shock as the flies were walking around. And this enabled them to come up with different scenarios and test the flies' walking response and also the flies' 
ability to, to produce serotonin. And what they found is that the fly is startled in these different kinds of scenarios. The serotonin indeed acts like the emergency brake. It hits the trigger, the fly freezes, and then forms a response. And part of this result may be like stiffening parts of the fly's legs or the leg joints. Now that's what could cause the brief pause in walking. After that though, the insect's legs unfreeze and they're able to start walking normally again. Now, the reason why the brain has this, they theorize, is because it gives the time for the nervous system of the fly or any other creature to gather information about what just changed. Especially when you have a sudden change like all of the lights going out or the entire world starting to shake. In that kind of scenario, you need to get more data. A rapid change has just completely changed the world around you and all of your base assumptions. So best to take a quick pause and evaluate what you need to do before you respond. So after being startled in the blackout scenario, the fly's walking was still slow and deliberate. But in the earthquake scenario, after the pause, the fly started to walk incredibly fast. And that seems interesting as a result. Once they evaluated what they needed to do, they responded accordingly. In the case of the blackout, they walked carefully because they needed more information still. It was dark. In the case of the earthquake, they moved fast to try and get out of the shaking zone. Now, this is an interesting example of how we can study the response of a creature to different threat stimuli, but it's only for fruit flies at this stage. But it shows the role that serotonin plays in our startle response. And if it's doing this in a creature as simple as a fly, imagine what kind of triggers it will be causing in other creatures. And that's what these researchers at Columbia University really want to get to understand, because if they can understand what is causing our brains to respond certain ways, then we can figure out the way in which creatures respond to all kinds of danger signals and understand the chemistry inside the neurosystems that's making it happen. Now, this is some great work published in the journal Current Biology by Claire Howard, a number of other researchers from Columbia University. This has been the Young Scientists of Australia's podcast, Lagrange Point. From serotonin causing you to freeze like a deer in the headlights, all the way to understanding how rats respond to signs of dangers when in a group. Our ending theme was composed by Audio and Head to ysa.org.au for more information about the Young Scientists of Australia.